Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. FM. Our guest, Jennifer Egan, who will be in Greenwich tomorrow night at the Greenwich Library at the Berkeley Theater, uh, has won just about every prize one can win, including the Pulitzer for Literature, for her extraordinary book, A Visit from the Goon Squad. But her latest, The Candy House, was officially named the number one of the top ten of the best books by uh, the New York Times uh, book review for 2022, and it's opening in paperback actually today. So it's a very, very exciting day for this to come out in paperback, The Candy House. It's an imaginative telling of the story of one of our social media tycoons and this dystopic, utopian universe that is created about and around these extraordinary tech inventions. Jennifer Egan is also a noted columnist and somebody who isn't afraid to comment on some of the most important explosive changes, technological changes of our time. I often read her not just as a novelist, but I always want to hear what she has to say about things. Jennifer Egan, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. What a thrill. Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. Hey, Jennifer, I just want to ask you about something. This is I haven't told my audience this yet. I'm telling you this as well for the first time. I want to hear what you think about this. I have a very close friend who has been in the business for a while of employing writers, and she just fired all of them. They were writers of websites, things about curtains and houses and homeware and whatever else. They were generic writers. They weren't writing the next great American novel as you have by any means, but they were writers nonetheless. She let them all go because she's so happy with ChatGPT and says that they are doing just as good a job at that kind of writing. Now, as a lover of the English language and a lover of writers in general, just wondering your reaction to that. Well, I feel pretty sad for those mm-hmm. writers who are probably, you know, supporting their passion projects with the work that they were doing for the website. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel the kind of sadness that I guess I always feel when machines replace 
human labor. Yes. Um, I haven't personally used ChatGPT, so I don't feel like I can really comment knowingly about it. Um, but I do find myself thinking that, you know, I guess I'm sort of a, I'm always trying to look for the way that things will be okay. And the way that I find myself thinking about it in this case is, we human writers will really have to up our game. Oh yes, to to show that what we can do is something that is that it cannot be captured by a generic prediction machine. Like ideally, we're always writing in ways that can't be replicated like that. Um, but on the other hand, I recognize that you know, in a certain way, like writing for say a catalog or something of that ilk that has its own narrative voice that the writer is expected to emulate, there is something generic about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So it's, I mean, I, I feel a, a, a great concern about what this yeah. is going to mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have used chat GPT. I highly recommend that you plunge in. Um, I will tell you that it is extraordinarily helpful about a lot of things. And I look at it personally when I've used it as a pretty good first draft. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's so funny is there's a chapter in the Candy House, my new book, in which there's a guy named um, Chris Salazar who's he's working for a tech company and his job is to create algebraic equations out of every kind of generic plot element he can find in popular culture. So he's watching movies, he's watching TV series, and he's trying to create a kind of um, code or a sort of dictionary of all of these different possible plot elements and his job is to turn them into algebra so that there's a gigantic algebraic system that can be used to describe anything that happens in a movie or on TV. Now, obviously, this is sort of comic, or that's the way that's the way it plays out in the chapter. And Chris can't figure out what on earth all of this is leading to, mm-hmm. and he never finds out. But what I realized when ChatGPT came along is that what it's all leading to is ChatGPT. <laughs> so I think it, you know, that in a way, this step was inherent. Um, and I was already imagining it, imagining it, and I'm sure others were too. Um, it was the obvious next step. Yeah. And the question is, and so the thing about, so I'm a lawyer by training, right? So words are my, words are my tools always. And I've always had this hubristic kind of arrogance that the brain the kind of work and, you know, the scope of what I've been doing and what lawyers do and what wordsmiths do is something that could never, ever be replicated by a machine because I never thought of it as something, you know, assembly line. I never thought of it as something mechanical. I always thought of it as something that came from this intrinsic brain that had some creativity and magic in it. But it turns out not so true. (laughs) It turns out like anything else, Certain skills can be replicated, and then one has to hope, right, that there's still the magic of the human invention and creation behind it. So people like you continue to move it forward. But I don't know. They're catching up, Jennifer. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I think that ChatGBT speaks to is that, I mean, in a way, it's not a machine that's doing the writing. It's a machine that's metabolizing all of the utterances that we have given it (laughs) in the form of the Internet. So what it's doing is drawing on a kind of groupthink that all of us have participated in. And the truth is that we all draw on that groupthink routinely. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one reason that I write fiction 
by hand, which is, you know, seems more and more antiquated with every day. But the reason I do it is that I am specifically trying to get out ahead of that group think. In other words, I feel it acting through me, too. If I just sit down at a computer and start writing, I'm unlikely to be coming up with very original language or even original thinking because I'm partaking of the very same sort of surface level of discourse that all of us are involved in and that ChatGPT is drawing on. But to try to do anything original or fresh, I specifically need to get away from that and, and sort of underneath it. And that's, I think, what all of us are trying to do when we access a more specific creative vision. We're chatting with Jennifer Egan, Pulitzer Prize winning author and author who will be appearing at the Greenwich Library tomorrow night, um, March 8th at 7 p.m. at the Greenwich Library's Berkeley Theater, which is a beautiful, beautiful venue, and you'll enjoy going there. Uh, Jennifer, it's interesting to me that you write in longhand. I, I can understand how that would slow you down. I can understand how the formation of the words with your own hand and pen would, would force your brain to, to do exactly what you just said. But I wonder, because for me, the mechanics of writing have become so painful that they would be an obstacle to my actual thoughts. Well, it's interesting. Um, that's very true. And when I'm out of the habit of handwriting, my hand actually aches. Right. But like any yeah. muscles, and we, I think we all know this, <laughs> those of us who slip in and out of good exercise regimes, <laughs> that... When you first go back, you're like, oh, my God, my body mm. can't do this. But guess what? In a few days, you're sort of back to it. So I find that um, that, that is a muscle that quickly sort of um, rejuvenates. But here's the interesting thing. Writing longhand does not slow me down in the writing process because what I find to be much slower is to look at a screen where I see a typed sentence Oh. And jumping back at me and and presenting me with its own deficiencies so that I feel like I need to fix it. In other mm. words, writing on a screen involves a lot of rewriting while writing. And True. that, again, True. that's the critical mind. That is what I'm trying to avoid. So I have terrible handwriting. I can't read it very well as I'm writing it. And I tend to just, you know, kind of hurdle forward and so it actually is a much faster process than it would be to create that amount of ter material on the screen. It's a blindness that I find quite freeing. And I actually don't read it over until the next day just to reenter the flow. I'm not, it's not about cleaning it up. It's about really, it's about improvising um, and, and, uh, and sort of uh, being surprised by what comes along. So Jennifer Egan, does that mean when you're reading it the next day and you're still happy with it, do you hand it to somebody to type it up and then read it critically for the first time in that way? Or do you then take your notes and type them yourself? There's no human who could read this writing. Ah. Um, certainly no machine. No. Okay. In fact, I have to do handwriting analysis on myself sometimes to figure out what on earth I was saying. So no, I type it up later. I read it. It often is, you know, very disappointing. Um, and but then hopefully there are some exciting moments that the improvisation has led to. And then I kind of lean into those. And only at that point do I really begin to understand what it is that I'm trying to do. Um, you know, for example, there's a there's a machine at the core of this book, The Candy House. 
It is a, it's called own your unconscious and it allows people to externalize all of their memories and review them from a present day perspective. And if they want to, to share them to a collective, Mm -hmm. that is not an idea that I thought of sitting in a chair and thought, Oh, I'm going to build a book around that. That is an idea that sort of came to me in glimmers as I worked in this improvisational way over the course of years. So it, it kind of came along organically. And I find that that results in work that feels more spontaneous and fresh than if I have a concept from the beginning that I, that I um, allow to fuel the work. Jennifer Egan, do you teach writing? It, you just sound like a writer who would be an extraordinary teacher. I don't really teach writing. Uh, I, I, I believe in the teaching of writing. I think you know people can learn a lot. Um, I certainly would have gotten started faster if I had had some instruction early on. Um, but I don't. I do teach literature on and off, and I incorporate writing exercises into that that learning. Um, but I don't really teach writing per se very much. You did not. You were not a, a student of writing. In your world? Like, how did you, you become know, the writer that you are? Honestly, uh, well, first of all, I didn't get into MFA programs that I applied to. So those who have been rejected, take heart. Um, and I think, actually, it, it, this gets back to our earlier point. That At that point, when I was applying to these programs, I, was, I had not figured out what my method was. I was writing on a computer. Mm-hmm. And I was, I think, my writing t- partook too much of the groupthink that made it not individually interesting or exciting. So what I was presenting was not very good is what I'm saying. Um, I learned really through trial and error, which is a great teacher. And in fact, I rely on trial and error even now in an individual book. I make lots of mistakes. You know, with The Candy House, I would say probably half of the first draft material that I wrote I, I was unusable. Um, but the other half was was of interest, and I, I rolled with that. Um, so trial and error is hard because there's a feeling of failure a lot in that process. Um, it's not fun to discover that 50% of your first draft material is not good. But it's I, I try not to look at, at failure as an end, as, as a sort of irrevocable end, because I find that Failure should always be in quotes with writing. Material that isn't working at one moment can be used differently. Sometimes I just haven't found the right way to house it or the right approach. And so I, I, I find that, you know, um, writing things that aren't working is just part of the process of getting to what does work. We're chatting with Jennifer Egan. As I'm listening to you, I'm reminded of songwriters and the trunks of songs that were written that weren't right for a particular show. So they ended up in the trunk, but then they would take them out, Julie Stein or Cole Porter, and they would use them someplace else where they fit, and all of a sudden they were a hit. <clears throat> and so, you know, I was just thinking about that as you were as you were talking about that because that's the same lesson, right? Sometimes I it, believe you know, in that. Yeah, I really believe in that. I think mm-hmm. that you know we all hate the feeling of failure. I have a writing group that I that I work with all the time. I dedicated the Candy House to them. And the reason I I have that is that I really like to get a sense early on of whether things are working, voices or technical approaches. I use a lot of different 
technical approaches in the candy house. There's a chapter that was written for Twitter at 140 characters. There's a chapter narrated as we, so the first person plural. Um, There's a chapter that's all in email. And so with these kind of more unusual approaches, I need to find out early if something is working or not. And I often do it by bringing it to this writing group. And that can lead to the impression that I somehow like getting feedback But I actually don't, because what that means is I'm sometimes finding out things don't work. And every time I hear that, I'm miserable. Mm -hmm. But that discomfort is still worth it to me to find out what is working and see if I can, you know, lean into that and, and create something that's worthwhile. And the things that aren't working are often, just as you say, not working in that way, not working at that time, but could be workable later. So the the chapter that's narrated as we, it's narrated by two sisters who speak as one. I tried using the we narrator voice in several other contexts before I arrived at this particular one that, that I felt was sort of freeing. I felt like I could really do something working with these sisters talking in that way. But before I got there, I had the unpleasant experience of trying that in several other contexts and having it not work. So I I try, you know, for myself, and it's not always easy to remind myself that, you know, what I think that what feels in the moment like failure is often just a step toward finding the thing that works. I think that we have been listening to a philosopher today. I feel like this conversation is uh, as a subtext about writing, but the overall text is about life. And I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. Well, I, I will say that, you know, for me, writing is about a relationship to the world. And I think that's so true for so many people who have a creative practice. It completes our experience of the world around us. So in a way, it's always philosophy at the same time that it's, it's creativity. Jennifer Egan, you're going to be at the library tomorrow night at seven o'clock at the Greenwich, uh, at the Berkeley theater at Greenwich's library. I'm going to try and get there just to meet you. And um, I want to thank you so much for being on the Lisa Wexler show today. Uh, Really a privilege, not only to read you, but to listen to you. Well, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow and, and any other Greenwichites who want to come. I, I would love to see you. Well, this is for WICC listening audience. You're going to get people from around Westchester and Fairfield County. They'll be migrating over to Greenwich to hear you, Jennifer. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and press on falsies. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.